I'm Sikian, and um, I've done lots of interviews over my career making stuff, thousands and thousands of interviews, and I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface of what can transpire between people in the context of an interview. And I find myself increasingly interested in finding new ways to shake things up, shake things up so that we can come up with new permutations or new, new ways of interrelating. Uh, yeah, and I'm Veronica, and um, yeah, someone once said to me that good radio is just a good conversation that you happen to have recorded. Um, and I find that sometimes it's really hard to have a good conversation under some of the circumstances that we end up doing interviews. Um, so like when you're just like quickly on the phone, trying to suck someone's story out. Um, also, when you're just working on a deadline and you don't really take the time to talk to someone in the, the deep way you need to. And then there's also the reality that like there's this power dynamic at play where you're the person holding the microphone and there's this other person that you're trying to suck the life out of. And so I feel like none of those none of those <laughs> really lead like to good conversations sometimes. Yeah. So so I wanted to share some what ideas. What is your story? Yeah, exactly. It's the Dracula of storytelling. I feel like that's what we do. We suck the life. Um, to distribute it to other, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to go with this blood to metaphor. entertain you, just kidding. In general, we're just going to start talking about ways we can, yeah, shake up our lives t with new strategies so that we can make our interviews more interesting for ourselves and for those who are involved in them. So, Sleepover came about because, um, you know, from frustrations of the limitations of com conversating, communicating over social media online, where it's really quick and it's often with people just like ourselves or friend circles. Um, and I found that it was disturbing to see friend circles and allies also really arguing in a fairly... Um, weird way, like it, interesting ideas would come to pass, but then invariably someone would get upset and, you know, grandstand, name call, unfriend, delete. And um, sleepover was kind of a, a response to a desire to have a more deep conversation and nuanced conversation and also shake things up so that I didn't feel like I was just talking to people who were sim similar to myself. Um, so pretty much how it came to be is that so the premise of Sleepover is what we do is we invite three complete strangers, three people who would never hang out with each other otherwise, and we invite them into a shared space where we sleep over for 24 hours together. And each of those three people is coming to the room with some kind of a difficulty or a challenge or a problem in their life that they're seeking advice on. So everyone who's in that room is there to share and then also to help each other. And, um, and so we want to just give you a little example of the, the sort of like the diversity of the cast of characters that, that we look for and sort of how, yeah, just sort of a little taste of the show. We, we also produce videos for the show, so here's a non-radio video. I'm Judy Simmons. I was born in Toronto in 1929. I think I sang before I could talk. I love to sing Edith Piaf. Il est rentré dans mon cœur, et n'est pas de bonheur, je vois la vie en rose. My children are upset about me driving, and I love to drive the farm. Well, I think I'm a good driver, but of course my kids, uh, they all think I'm a terrible driver, and I don't know why. I've taken a tumble a couple of times. Your family wants you to put the car away. But I'm not prepared to do that. Thank you very much. 
end of subject well i'm ben goods i'm really good at maps i i, I know where everywhere in the, is in the world the capital of australia is sydney the capital of us is washington dc and the capital of the united arab emirates is abu dhabi <laughs> I would say I have mild to moderate autism. You're normal, but you have autism pretty much. Everything seems louder to you, and you can't socialize, you get anxious all the time. I need advice on making friends and, and how to talk to people without something going wrong. The only people who live in my neighborhood are old people and adolescent girls, so I'm not friends with any of those, so those are not my target markets. My name is Kai Chang Tom, and I'm a social worker, counselor, and writer and performing artist. I wear a few different hats. I feel that I'm, you know, I'm in danger of burnout a lot, and this is something I need to look at. I work mostly with young trans people. The situation is different, I think, for the trans community because there are so few of us who have access to helpful resources, and this is a problem. The question I have is how do I disconnect? When do I disconnect? What I would like is some time for myself where I don't have to worry about other people. And what's getting in the way is that there are a lot of people who are in pain. I sometimes feel like a grumpy old man inside, but I'm only 13. I'm the opposite, but I'm actually 87. You don't look a day over 20. <laughs> You're gonna go far, young man. He's brave and charming also. <laughs> <laughs> So very different people, strangers from incredibly uh, different experiences and walks of life together for a general aim to problem solve, but also beyond, beyond the aim itself, it becomes an exquisite um, canvas to share experiences and um, you know get to talking and hearing glimpses of, of each other's lives. Um, what we're going to do today is sort of unpack um, core elements of sleepover uh, and also specifically kind of highlight um, we, uh, things that have been inspiring to us from other disciplines, from the art world, from many other forms that we uh, utilize in sleepover to try to activate an interview so it's not just question and answer. So um, one of the, the first elements of uh, sleepover is this notion of long duration, of spending a very long time together. So two years ago, I collaborated um, on an art project. It was called What Happens to Juge in 24 Hours? And Juge is my band with Adam Litovitz. And together what we did was we sequestered ourselves for 24 hours in a black box, but unlike sleepover, we were not allowed to sleep. And down the hallway were our collaborators, Boyana and Alex, and we never saw them in person, but they were down the hallway and they would communicate with us through a, through a laptop, a laptop inside this black room, uh, a windowless room where we were, and they would prescribe particular actions for Adam and I to undertake actions that would last anywhere from 20 seconds to three hours. Um, we would have you know, a, a random chance game where they would communicate 
to us through the laptop, tell us what to do, and then we had a, um, uh, a bunch of times inside a, a holder, and we'd pick out and be like, oh, that, that would be the duration of time. So some of the actions were things like, whisper to yourself a secret. Say it over and over again until it becomes a meaningless sound. Do this again, starting with the meaningless sounds, until they become a secret. For 77 minutes. <laughs> Oi. So here's some of what transpired during that 24 hours together. Accomplishing tasks and not sleeping. Do you want to start off high or low? Maybe high. The hardest part for Adam was knowing there was a lot more ahead, and he was worried he wouldn't keep it together. At first, I was irritable. The toughest part for me was physical discomfort. And around a third of the way into our experiment, my lower back hurt like heck. There were times I wasn't crazy about the music we were making. There wasn't enough space. There were too many loud and endless loops. I wanted to unplug our machines and walk away. Invariably, negativity disappeared, supplanted by something else. Ridiculousness, beauty, pleasure, and then more annoyance. Eventually, I stopped caring and went with whatever was happening. It's weird and wonderful when things don't bug me. Same with sleep deprivation. I need my sleep. I've never been able to stay up for 24 hours. Through this experiment, I was able to push past mental and physical fatigue. Two-thirds into it, there was a fluidity in communication. We undertook a 72-minute psychic exercise. Adam closed his eyes and imagined an object or a person. He drew it and then projected, sent the image to me without saying what it was and without showing me his drawing. I drew what I received. We were taken aback when many of the drawings bore similarities and correlations. And then one turned out to be exactly the same thing, a foot. On the 23rd hour, when we unlocked the door and opened the space to perform for the public, having run the gauntlet, the physical pain I'd felt before disappeared. When I saw the faces of my friends in the darkness, I began to cry. It was something like gratitude, joy, release. I had more clarity and focus than ever before and an uncanny feeling of freedom. So Sukin, like, what did you discover in this 24-hour time? Like, that's such an intense time to be just alone, the two of you. Yeah, I discovered that people are psychic. You know, we kind of communicate with each other. And we should just lock the door and spend 24 hours together, and we'd all know what each other's thinking. I mean, there's this incredible thing that happens in this long duration thing. I mean, I, I realized that, but I also, through the peri this period of time, I just stopped giving a flying F. I stopped caring. I stopped caring about the way I look, kind of like that I've got my hair like this now. This, my eyes are tearing up. Somebody offered, do you want a red out? No. I, you know, there's something about feeling the sort of liberation of just not caring that allows you to be in the moment, to be present, 
which is something that we wanted to apply to sleepover, this notion of long duration, because really interviews, the idealistic, I, the ideal situation is to have guests speak freely and not censor them, themselves. It's kind of like falling in love, you know? You meet somebody, and at first you feel really nervous, and you say stupid stuff, and like, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of nerves. But after spending so much time together, you can't help, but like the real you comes out. And pretty soon you're doing stuff, you know, you would never think that you could ever feel comfortable doing, like, you know, comparing turds. Which we, which we do not do on sleepover, I just want to say. There's no, no turd not yet. lookage. But that would, that's a good idea for podcasts. That must be out there, right? Turds, comparing turds. Let's, let's compare turds. A great diving a- off point for scintillating convo. There was a website called ratemypoo.com. Did you guys ever? Anyways, total offshoot. Don't go there. I hope it doesn't exist. Anyways, on to this. So in our experiment, um, there was no audience. There was no audience. Um, we invited the audience in at the 23rd hour. And then in our discombobulated state, we performed music for them. I wasn't sure if I would just be an oily spot on the floor. I was surprised to find that after pushing through exhaustion, I felt very clear and very present, which was another, it's an, an interesting manifestation of what happens in long duration. You see this in, in many forms, in marathons, in sun dances, a kind of clarity that rises. But I'm curious, you know, like, what happens um, when an audience is part of the 24-hour experience? What happens if we could close the door and lock ourselves in here? What would happen when those delineations are blurred? Well, Hungarian filmmaker Bellatar uses extended time to terrific effect. I'm gonna play you an excerpt from his seven-hour opus. It's called Satan Tango. This is the background of the movie. It takes place in an impoverished rural Hungarian farming community. We follow a very distressed girl, and she goes into the woods because she's heard of this mythical tree that sprouts coins, and she's going there to find money. And she makes a trek into the woods only to discover the tree. The tree is barren and does not produce coins. And she feels completely... uh, betrayed, she falls into despair, she's angry, and she vents her rage upon a a farm cat and accidentally kills it. And this is a scene that follows.
cut it off there, but you can get Why the Why did sense. you cut it off there? <laughs> I thought we were going to play the whole seven hours. Um, so V cut it off there. Why did you cut it off there? I don't know. I started to get a little uncomfortable. I was like, oh, how, like, I, I guess it's a question of like, how much can you handle? And then I also looked at the time and was like, oh, we're almost halfway done. Right. A little bit of discomfort. Um, how, how, did, how did you feel when you were watching that? Uh, I did feel, a, yeah, just to, that, like I needed to teach myself to be more patient than I usually would be, I would say. Uh, I guess I felt kind of the, the cadence of walking. I, I love to hike. and oh, You felt like uh, you were living, sort of walking through the forest with her? Yeah. And, and what about you? Oh, I was in it. Like, I, I was a little uncomfortable when it started, but the longer it went, the more, and it focused on her face, I was in it so when it stopped actually it was kind of jarring yeah, it's very interesting so it's, it's a seven hour movie and that particular scene goes on on and on and on and on and on and and yeah most people i think would be like oh let's turn it off so we're confronted by our impatience um, what, what does this mean what, what am i supposed to be getting out of this what what happened so as an audience member you're kind of pulled into the world of the movie you're no, no longer watching it like a you know a person outside of it this is a story i'm being entertained you're kind of pulled into the experience and you're kind of confronted by your own feelings of boredom of what have you of difficult which is really cool. I think that's, um, it becomes less about a film or a, a piece of content that you're producing for an audience, but it becomes a world into itself of which you're, you're drawn into. And I feel like, so like this idea of time and a, a long duration is something that's really valuable for, for Sleepover. It's like a vital element of our show. And I'd just like to return to this like, idea that like we sort of met these three characters at the beginning. I mean, when they first met each other, they really had nothing in common, and there were some really hard moments. Um, Kai, Kai Chang was about to flee. Yeah, we almost lost one. No one has actually ever left a sleepover, which is one of our great claims. But, um, but the, the, the thing about the time is that we're all committed to being in this space together, and as the time elapses, uh, relationships are formed, curiosities sort of arrive, the shoes come off, people literally change out of their clothes into other clothes, and I feel like in taking off some of that armor, people sort of are able to be a more comfortable version of themselves. Um, yeah, like just as the time happens, these sort of like surface layers of our humanity are sort of stripped away and people become a bit more vulnerable. And relationships actually happen right before our eyes. They sort of develop. And so I wanted to share a, a little a little clip with you of, of one of these sort of candid conversations where people are just getting curious about each other and we're not even asking questions. We're just there recording. This is a few hours after KC was about to flee. She did decide to stay with us and to her credit, um, yeah. got down. And this, this transpired some hours later. When I was a kid, I didn't have very many friends. I really worried that other kids didn't like me and that I was really ugly. Worry yeah. about that too? Yeah. When I was a kid, first of all, I had frizzy hair. And number two, I had to wear glasses since I was seven years old. And I wore these horrible wire glasses. You were like the boring old Judy. They called me Muscles of Godfrey. I go canoeing with them. I go this and that. You know, I was a tomboy, but I wasn't lovely. I really felt like I was an ugly duckling. It took me a long time till I felt, you know, that I was okay. Kids are dumb. They bully people. I have a question for you. Have you ever been bullied before? Yeah. I don't think of it as bullying, but, but you're right. It is bullying. I do get bullied as an adult, sometimes because I'm trans, and that's, you know, when... Usually men come up to me and they say nasty things to me or, you know, they, they threaten me or things like this. I'm sorry for saying this. It's okay, then. It's okay. Remember the incident in Montreal? Yeah. 
What do they do? They called me a faggot. Yeah, that yeah. Um, when that happened, it was really intense, and it, it was scary, and I didn't like it. I would never do that. I would never do no, that. No, you wouldn't. You're a nice guy. I see that. It's, I have to tell you, Ben, sometimes people are going to be mean to you as an adult, too. But you can now, and also when you're a grown-up, you can stand up for yourself. You know, I said some nasty words back, um, and then I got out of there really fast. Yeah, so you can sort of hear that there's just an energy in that space where they're all feeling comfortable enough to share some really difficult truths about themselves. Um, and I just feel like it is this combination of the time that they're taking with each other to actually just be in this room for 24 hours, and also the space that is created where we're all sharing space together. But the, just to go back to the time thing for a minute, as radio producers, you can sort of, I guess you're all kind of terrified. I feel like the question that always comes up is like, 24 hours of tape, like what do you do? Um, and so yeah, like it, it all sounds really great, but we do get 24 hours of tape. Um, and so that's, it can be kind of daunting to think about editing all of it. So what we usually do after a sleepover is uh, Sukian and myself and our associate producer, Michelle Malcolm, we get together and we do this like a major brain dump. And it's interesting what Jad was saying about like where you feel the feelings of the tape. I feel like that's sort of what we talk about is what are the moments that really resonated with us? What were the moments um, that we laughed or almost cried um, or that we just couldn't stop thinking about even just an hour after the fact? And then we sort of make note of all of those things and start pulling out the strains of like, okay, what is, where is the story here? Because what we actually do with the sleepover is we make three episodes, three half hour episodes, each following one of the guests. So, yeah, we're sort of trying to keep that in mind. But in the room, we're just trying to let it all happen and just be present. And then we sort of put producer brains on a little bit more after the fact. It's a distillation process. It's a bit like audio alchemy. And we're constantly A and being and listening and knowing what can be left. What can be left? What can be retained? What serves, honestly, their story? It's very important for us to be able to reflect accurately how they feel. Um, Sheila Hetty was one of our guests. She's a writer. She's fantastic. She was reluctant to be there because she was like, I'm the storyteller. I don't know how you guys are going to do this. How are you going to cut this? And it was like, she heard it. She tr trusted us. Thank God she trusted us. And she was like, you know what? That's accurate to my experience. So as uh, makers, we want to accurately reflect that. But it is a distillation process. And um, we're, we're kind of very gonzo and intense people. We're very obsessive. And we just try to you know, take that and, and, and sharpen it to a gem. We also use that software. Oh, yeah, I also want to give a shout out to Pop-Up Archive, who we could not live without. And I hear they're closing down and it breaks my heart. So just raise, raise a glass to Pop-Up Archive. I don't know how I would do this job without it, so. Yeah, that was very, that was interesting for me. To, like, usually when I cut, I cut by ear. I'm listening and I'm cutting by ear, whereas uh, you had introduced me to this notion of transcription, so you can sort of it highlight. It was helpful. Listening, because like, you do need to listen to all the tape, but sometimes it's helpful to just be able to, once we have this brain dump, we just sort of know what we're looking for, and so it's easy to jump in from there. Well, yeah. another person who utilizes this notion of uh, time and space is a Canadian documentary filmmaker, his name, Alan King. He specialized in these kind of fly-on-the-wall experiments that he called actuality dramas, and they unfold over a very long time in a specific location, like a retirement home, a suburban family dwelling. And in his 1969 documentary, Warrendale, he gives us a glimpse of very emotionally upset children at a mental health facility in Toronto. The therapists are utilizing a new technique called holding. The kids are encouraged to express 
their negative feelings while an adult caregiver holds them down. Here's an excerpt from that. You must have x ray videos. I don't believe you. Cheat. 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 I don't even know what I'm going to okay, put Now down. you're going to be sorry. The whole god darn lot of you, for sure. Cheat. of social experimentation. Um, it's a difficult and challenging view. And, and what he had done was um, he poses a lot of questions, but he refuses to answer them. It's riveting and it's challenging. He had a very tiny crew. It was a sound recordist and a camera person. And they would stay inside this location for a very, very long time. And after a while, their presence, they became invisible to the staff and the patients who wind up speaking candidly without holding back. So that space is a place where something interesting is happening, and Alan King makes sure that he records it. And so this space that we do sleepover is a really important part of it as well. Um, in the first season, we were staying in a hotel room for each of the sleepovers. And the hotel was very generic, like a lot, like all of these rooms. Um, but because it was so generic, it actually ended up being almost like a blank slate. So whoever the, like, because the cast of characters are really the people that bring the whole event to life. And so they were able to just sort of shine through and create the space, whatever it became, because of who they were in that blank space. Uh, but going into the second season, we were thinking, okay, like maybe the location can almost act as a character itself. So we were going to, we went to a yurt in Salt Spring Island, we went to a skyscraper, and these locations became part of the story as well. And uh, 
and yeah, so I think that what's important is that like when we're in these spaces, we're actually yeah committing to being there together for the long haul. Um, and a big part of this is like we're actually all in this room together. Sukhin is there as well, and I feel like yeah, it's a marathon. Like I feel like it actually is like an interviewing marathon where I feel like it's, I almost call it like the Olympics of interviewing because she as you know like I feel like you know that feeling of when you're holding a mic for someone and you have to be just as present as on as those people and it's actually quite exhausting and so if you can only imagine doing it for 24 hours it's it's a bit of a feat um yeah it can be physically and mentally arduous I uh use a very old sort of battle axe 1950s indestructible microphone and I just sort of do this the whole time so for that 24 hour period it's like a how I'm able to do it. Sometimes I think it's just like, I think it's like uh, my body has all these chemicals that are like, yeah, yeah, I let it go. But I keep doing this. And so my arm is really strong here. <laughs> my really strong arm. Also sleeping together. That's really intimate stuff, you know? So, uh, you know, and usually, you know, when there's a lack of enough beds, it's me on the floor. I bring my sleeping bag every time. So that can be a little bit, oh. And also one time there was like a lot of snoring happening. It was so loud. I was like, oh, I'm not even gonna be able to sleep. So what did I do? I got my phone and, and recorded it. I was like, record the bottom bunk. And then I ended up um, in the episode, kind of contextualizing what was happening in the room, so it actually became part of the part of the episode. Um, and then there was one time where it, it's very raw. People are extraordinary. People are really freaking fucking amazing. And when they're just given a moment to share some of their life, it's profound. And I know this and feel this deeply. I've spoken with so many people and I'm never, it's, I'm just always humbled by the richness of people's lives. So there was one night after some intense conversation, I was just like lying on the floor. I was the last one to sleep and I just started crying. It, it was um, not tears of sorrow. It was just a tears of recognition of the incredible complexity and struggle in everyone's lives and the joy and, and human moments. And I was very um, humbled in that moment that they were courageous enough to share these small glimpses of their lives with us. And I feel like this brings us back to another one of these ideas, which is reciprocity. And this idea that we're not just there to like suck the the emotion out of people. We're, we're all in there feeling these feelings with them as well. And um, it, yeah, if these are some really heavy topics that we talk about on this show, and it can be really difficult for people. And people are going to a really vulnerable place. And so I think that one of our values is the fact that like we're willing to get vulnerable as well, and particularly Sukin. Um, yeah, like we're going beyond just like an ask and answer format here. Like she actually shares her own difficulties in her life and that actually ends up opening it up for people to share their own as well. It's it's really a back and forth as opposed to this sort of like vampiric um, emotion suckage. Kind of an unbalanced thing. So reciprocity becomes super key to this. I, I know from experience that some of the hardest people to interview are stand-up comedians because they don't you know, they, they basically want to be in control. Cops. Ever tried to interview a cop? 
impossible. They spin, spin politicians, spin, 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 don't really want to talk to you. As well as, guess who else? Broadcasters and journalists. So many of the people in this room. So many times I'm like, you know, I'll be at the CBC and I'll say, so, like, I spend a lot of time just like wandering around asking questions to strangers and people and all of a sudden, I'll say, hey, you know, somebody that I recognize from the building, dude, what, can I talk to you? No. No. Are you kidding me? Because broadcasters and journalists feel way more comfortable asking questions than having to answer them. They don't want to be on the hot seat. Who wants that? There's so many derogatory terms that are applied to people from the in, inside the industry. Nobody wants to go out on the street. Well, no, some people do. Very few, the majority, a lot of people don't want to go on the street. It's, it's hard because you're like there, people walk by you, they reject you, you're like, excuse me, stop. No, you have to deal with a lot of rejection. Um, it's, it's vulnerable, it's really, really hard. So, but although I can understand the tendency to not want to be the one answering, I do think that it's really important to be on that other side. Because if we're asking people to dig deep and offer, share that which is important to them or meaningful or makes them vulnerable, we should too. So it's not just a take. Um. So I wanted to share an example of, of a time that that happened in Sleepover. Um, one of our guests was a guy named Walter Callahan, who was a Canadian soldier who was struggling with PTSD. Um, yeah, he's really, Walter's haunted now by the loss of people who have, have died um, or committed suicide as the result of, of, of combat. And when he came to the Sleepover, he was really struggling with this real um, thick emotional armor that he that he has built up, um, this really sort of cagey defensive reaction that he has in the world. And so when we, when we met him, he was really struggling with ways to, to make a new, new connections. I'm just gonna say one detail here as well. He um, felt guilty because he was trained, it was his job to train the soldiers. And he suffered an injury and wasn't able to go overseas. And many of his peers died or um, died in combat or subsequently killed themselves. So he, this is a big part of um, the armor and his PTSD. Yeah, so he was coming to us sort of seeking ways to reconnect. In the last few weeks, a number of people that I know have killed themselves. The trauma that's occurring is never ending and it, it makes it difficult to connect again mm -hmm. because it's happened so many times and there's no real way of that I found of getting over it. You identify it as a, as a fear of loss and yet hanging on to this guilt kind of paves the way to loss. Yeah. I feel also an affinity for your struggle with guilt. I ran away from home when I was 15. It was a very difficult situation at home and my younger sister followed me. I was lucky to fall on my feet my sister was not. She was running with street gangs where life was challenging and probably dangerous. I was the big sister. I was supposed to take care of her and I could barely take care of myself. I joined a band and we decided to go on tour. At that point, Dee Dee, my sis, she decided to go across Canada too. So she got into a car with her pals. Her friend fell asleep at the wheel just outside of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, uh, hit a railroad crossing. This uh, accident took her life. I feel responsible for her death. I know it's completely irrational. I know that I was 
just a kid, but I can't help and feel that if I could only have been there, been maybe a bit more mature, that maybe she'd be around. At residence, there is a familiarity there. Keep for sharing that with me too, because that, that helps them knowing that there is something that is not totally unique. No, it's not unique. So through that conversation, Walter recognizes that he's not alone in this experience. And we also establish a rapport, which makes it easier for him to open up with these strangers that he just met, which is um, another element of our show, this idea of strangers. I was sort of talking about earlier how I wanted to get out of the friend circle and bring strangers together. So Sleepover, we bring together three completely different guests who would never find themselves in the same room. I love strangers. I so appreciate them. They don't always want to talk to you, but when they do, it's incredible. Here's an example of a time when plunked on the street, I came across a couple of strangers in this happen. What's your name? Uh, Colin. Hi, Colin. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sukin. We're going to go into this parking lot. Eh, ah, ah, oh, oh, ah. We've got an empty parking space here. I'm going to hold the note, and if you could join me, it's just using your voice in any way, shape, or form. Try, yeah. All right, here we go. That was gorgeous. My voice doesn't even go that high. And it did. It was fun with people I didn't know, and it was fun because I didn't know what they were going to do either. It was very unique because I wouldn't really usually do social stuff like this. I would probably just walk past. Yeah, you started to go. How come? I just felt like singing and expressing ourselves in any way we could. Ah, love that. I love that music we made. It's like Luciano Berrio. How could you even know that people would like, you'd meet somebody and they're like, let's go. Let's go do it. So the takeaway is that people love an excuse to go on an adventure. In this case, strangers agreeing to come with me. We take on an activity, singing. The part that I left out was when our singing caused a panic and the parking lot attendant thought we were crying for help. About to phone the cops. We had to go over. It's okay. It's fine. Hello. Who are you? I'm ho so-and-so. That, that was wonderful. That, that, that Sometimes these sort of collisions, it's not only the singing, but it sort of offered a new direction for the story to go in, which was really super-duper fun. And so, yeah, it does seem like smooth sailing. It's sort of like this magical Shangri-La. Ooh, all the different people get together and it's magic and they're strangers. But it does fall apart uh, often. As, as she said, we're bringing together people who would not hang out with each other otherwise. And sometimes 
that's for a good reason. No, I'm not going to say that. But people are entering this space with preconceived notions about each other. They're entering into this space with their own values and their own ideas. And so there is conflict. There's tension. And we allow that to just happen. Like, that's the beauty of the time and the space is that we're just there to sit with it. Um, so things do fall apart. And I wanted to share one of these sort of more difficult moments with you. This is actually from our very first sleepover ever. Um, and we had an amazing cast of characters. We had Alan Zweig, who's a documentary filmmaker, who one could call a curmudgeon. Um, he's cranky, he's gruff, he's rude, um, and he, you know, he likes to share that with the world. Um, and then we had Sachi Cole, who's a feminist writer and um, talks a lot like challenging racism and power imbalances in the world. And then in joining them in the room was this young Charlie McGettigan, seven years old, um, so yeah, here's a little a little sense of of what their dynamic was uh, just off the bat. Sashi might cut me to the quick, but you know it's sort of like I wondered who's going to be here, and I sort of probably figured in a weird way that it would be two more versions of me. What? I'm just gonna say I don't want to hit on this note too hard, but that's something men think. The world is populated by other versions of themselves. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the straight white men thing, but I already did, but I'm not going to go there. Nothing good can come of that. I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true either. Unless I say I've had it easy because I'm a straight white man, then anything less than that, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. Mm. And so when Alan says, I was thinking that I'd walk into a room and there'd be three guys just like me, you said, sounds like the way guys that, see but it. But that is the way men see it, because I don't, I don't get to walk into any room and think that I'm going to see three brown women. I don't get to have that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that you said it. I said it metaphorically. Come on. I didn't, <laughs> okay, I didn't really but even metaphorically, I don't, I don't get to say that, because I know it's not going to happen. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's, that's I think, where this debate gets derailed which is that when people talk like that, people in the majority take it as a criticism and not merely just a statement. But I'm not saying that you have to hang yourself because you're like a white dude here, but... I didn't say people like me. I mean, maybe I you said, d but you I did. didn't mean people like me because I don't relate to the world as being filled with people like me, whatever. Okay. Well, I hope here we can talk about stuff and not have to tippy-toe around things. Well, I just want to say one thing. I have foot-and-mouth disease. I mean, I, I've always had it. I've always just said what came into my head. What Sashi wants, I think I want the same things. It just Sometimes I just hear these orthodoxies repeated to the point that, oh, no. I didn't say anything. No, I know. Okay, sorry. Don't get dismissive. I didn't say anything. Are you, saying, are you thinking I'm she's just saying? I don't know. I think I'm I moved very, my eyebrows and I'm he disagreed with that. Sort of <laughs> All of a sudden, we're sitting in the dark. Charlie's closed the curtains and blocked out the light. Where did Charlie go? I find her in a fork she's made in the closet. I ask her what's up. I just felt like leaving the room. <laughs> Why? I don't know, there's too much going on for me. I'm getting too bored. Great. Now we have a bored and confused kid, two grown-ups at odds with one another, and a lot of assumptions flying around this hotel room. But that's okay. It's part of the reason why I gathered these strangers for a sleepover. Maybe once they get to know each other better, some of the tension will ease up. Or not. 
Um, so you can hear there's some some real interesting conversation happening there. I feel like that's a conversation that I had never really heard before on the radio or, or elsewhere. Um, and so we just let that tension ride and captured it and got to share it with people. But yeah, it, it was real tension and it really took a while. It, didn't, it takes that time and that shared space. And also, it, the bigger thing that really holds the sleepover together is that everyone's there to share some kind of problem in their life. They're, they're actually trying to seek help from each other. And so throughout the time that elapsed between Alan and Sachi and, and Charlie is... Sachi ended up telling us about the issue in her life, which was that her dad was um, sort of giving her the silent treatment because he didn't agree with or didn't, yeah, didn't agree with her choice of partner. And then Alan started talking about his issues with control and how he can't leave his house without this really special pillow of his. Um, and Charlie was talking about her lack of confidence in reading. And so as people started opening up and getting vulnerable and seeking help from one another and, and sort of getting advice from one another, they actually ended up building these relationships. Like it just sort of happens naturally and it's, it's sort of a, kind of a miracle to watch happen in, in real time. But they really slowly just got to know each other and kind of, uh, by the end of it, they sort of started seeing each other in a, in a new light. So I just want to share a bit of what that sort of sounded like. Sashi, as we sit here in the lobby about to leave and you look at Alan, can you recall like when you first met him and now a day later, how are your feelings or impressions of him different? Oh, I'm shocked at how much we have in common, but I think you're really hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no. What's your takeaway from this uh, sleepover together? Uh, I didn't know how uh, upset I was. I don't think I was completely in tune with how frustrated I've been for the last few weeks, which quite frankly, I would have been happy not knowing. So <laughs> that's some information I have to carry now. What do I take away? You know, I don't want to sound namby-pamby, but Sashi and I... It totally makes sense that we're similar because our differences are surface. Like, yes, I'm three times her age and a man and from a different background, but the issues for human beings are all pretty much the same. So essentially what happened was, you know, Alan and Sanchi, with their caustic senses of humor and blunt truth-talking, they come to realize that they're way more similar than they are different. And that they're kind of like the same person trapped in a different body, a POC feminist and a grumpy old white guy. So it's this kind of dance between dark and light that, sleep, that happens at sleepover. Some heavy stuff, but then also some lightness. And I know that many of you cannot afford the kind of time we have to make stuff, and you're needing to you know, engage quickly in a much, much, much quicker situation. And that's where we utilize things like um, activities, you know, the notion of singing. We've done a lot of singing together. Other stuff that we've done was um, we, we've gone swimming. We do, um, we've done wrestling, boxing, blindfold trust exercises. We've eaten bugs. Crickets. They were actually pretty good. Yeah. They were chocolate covered, I think. Were they? Yeah. They had a lot of salt on them, so they're like, oh, like yeah, chips. Oh, yeah, they were salty or something. Like we that, had yeah. like paper airplanes off towers. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like the, the power with the activity is like, I feel like we get so bogged up in talk time. Um, it's actually really helpful to do an action. And yeah, I used to do this show called Bradio where I would braid hair on the radio. And I, it's kind of weird. Uh, maybe I've braided some of you in here. But what, the best part about that show is that I wasn't looking at someone in the eye. It's actually a lot of pressure to be like, tell me about your mother. Well, great like, stuff can happen when you're involved yeah, in work involved, or like, activity. Keep your hands moving. You know, like, I feel like sometimes the best conversations that I have are, like, when you're in the car and you're not looking at someone or when you're, like, working and you know, baking something or something else. So actually doing an action with somebody, I feel like, can sort of open up your mind to wander further. I always think about, like, the Freudian 
analysis chair where they're not looking at you in your eye and you can just go deeper into your own mind. So yeah, don't maybe don't look at each other is one idea. But yeah, just to, just to go back to the, like sleepover, like every time that I get to be in the room for one of these things, it's really, it's, I always think of it as a two-parter. Like it's a, it's a podcast and a radio show, but it also is this, this magnificent performance art piece that is a performance just for those of us in the room. And uh, there's this real energy that is shared and created that we make and really does break people out of these cliques and these silos that we live in so often. And I know, I know it does sound namby-pamby, as, uh, as Alan said, but it is like shockingly inspiring that humans are complex and hard, but also have a lot of, of love in, inside of each other to give. So Yeah, a lot of yeah. mass media really focuses on how everything's horrible. You know, we're at war, we're at odds. You're a monster, I'm a monster, which could be true. <laughs> but there's a lot more to the story. We rarely hear about those, those moments where people come together and they share and build. That's also part of the story too. And like V, it's so humbling to be in the room to see people coming together and finding inventive ways to problem solve during our sleepovers and to hear of their life experience. So the goal is to try to transcend the kind of traditional approach of list of questions and answers in order to activate the interview for everybody involved. Yeah, and I guess I, 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 don't, I don't expect you all to go off and like do sleepovers now, um, but I think the idea is to sort of look at the processes that you are working in and sort of try to question, okay, like what else could I do to sort of shake this thing up? And I think that what we're sort of trying to share here is like, Sukin looked to different pieces of art and different experiences that she had in the world to try to shake up her interview practice. So, like, what I like to do is self-observation. Like, when I'm in the world, like, what are the what are the pieces of art? Like, what are the films? What are the conversations that are like actually giving me a spark? And how can I try to take, like, how can I interrogate whatever that feeling was and pull out a, a strategy that can be used in the work? So, yeah, I hope that that's, that's just like a little challenge or a, a little, I don't know, idea for you guys to take away from this. Because, yeah, you don't always have 24 hours and you don't always have a secret hotel room you can slink someone away to. But, but how, can you, how can you try to be a bit more present in, in for people that you're talking with? There's a lot of ways to do an interview. So, so many. And we hope this has been helpful for you. And we're going to open things up to questions now. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you, ladies, so much. Um, I just wanted to like reiterate, so you guys create kind of this space, and you create the rules for it as well, right? So when you are creating Sleepover, you have complete control over, like, OK, we're going to have people come in, and they're going to have a problem, right? Well, there's an agreement. Like, uh, there are a few rules, but there's a premise right. that you're gonna, you, we're going to meet in this space for 24 hours. And you, and you guys bring a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of something that's difficult that you need some um, insight in. So, and you guys also have control over who gets brought in, right? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we select the people. Okay, so I guess I have a kind of a two-part question. My first question is, what made you, like, what were the other brainstorm ideas on the table for what you wanted the whole commonality to be in the room? So, like, for instance, everybody's coming with a problem, right? Yeah. Were, were there other brainstorm ideas that you were like, everybody should come with a, mm, everybody should... Like what? What are the? What's yeah, the there, thing? there are some things like um, sometimes objects really activate memories and so forth. So each person brings um, an object that's sort of related to their difficulty that they can talk, show, and talk and pass around. 
Um, and it really is like uh, we find we find our guests in many different ways um, through just walking through the city. I, I found somebody in a food court. Um, ended up having a great conversation with his brother, who suggested him. I touched base with this his brother, and ex he was extraordinary. So it's um, and then also so sort of um, it's almost like a it's like a dinner party in some ways. Like you kind of invite you invite people they don't they've not seen one another, but you as the sort of producer can go, oh that's that's interesting, but what about that? Mm -hmm. So um, trying to find ways that people sort of tang can dovetail off. But where there's common experiences. But yeah, like to your question of like, were there other ideas of like non-problems or like if people could just sort of show up? I think that the idea originally was like that- in the beginning stages. Yeah, like I think in the beginning stages, like one of like the, like the core values was this idea of triangulation and bringing different people together to talk about something. And I think that there were some ideas at first, like maybe they should talk about like some kind of topic in the media or like some kind of big thing. But I think it was really important to us that it was, it was based in the personal as well, so. Yeah, I think somebody flew in the idea of like, why don't we have them? Well, let's have a food show to talk about that. But then it was like, um, the best people to talk about food are experts in food. Uh, and also, it's just sort of, we are our experts in our lives. That's what we're expert in. Mm -hmm. It's not to impose an exterior thing, but we know our lives. And so everyone's an expert in that room. They can talk. Right, yeah, and by food show, I think, we, yeah, we were talking about, like, maybe it's a dinner party. Like, maybe we invite, like, three people to come and have dinner. I think we also were like, oh, like, let's take them to the island. Or, like, at one point we were like, oh, let's, maybe we go into, like, some kind of, like, geodesic dome where, like, it's just, like, white space and they have to spend 24 hours. Anyways, there was lots of different ideas. But, yeah. And then my second question is when it comes to casting, right, uh, what makes you, when you talk to a person or you find someone on the street go, no, you're not the right one, and yes, you are. Oh potential. my gosh! Yeah, so this is it's a it's a really grueling chase process. It's quite difficult, and there's I mean like one thing that we're always looking for is like a real diversity of people and perspectives, and like whether that's a diversity of like class or race or gender, um, or even location, especially age. And then a, a big one this season, we really wanted to get someone that doesn't listen to the CBC, like people that aren't paying attention to this stuff at all. Um, but a big thing, it really is hard to find a problem that is succinct enough that people can talk about it in a quick way. I mean, like, we can't deal with problems that are, like, someone's whole life needs to be changed. It has to be something that people can actually offer useful advice on in the moment, um, but also not too small that it's trite. Uh, so it's, it's really difficult, and it involves, like, quite a lot of conversations. The really, the hardest one was when we were chasing a millionaire. We really needed a millionaire. And I ended up actually providing, like, three or four hours of free therapy to this one millionaire, and then he backed it at the last minute. So that was a hard one. Yeah, he was really interesting. We wanted to have, because you never hear millionaires or rich people. It's like they don't have problems. It's like, oh, cry me a river. You're rich. Um, but, like, why not? So we were in Vancouver, and there's, like, Vancouver's a place of have and have nots where the city's being developed like crazy. So we needed to have somebody in there in the room who, who contributes to the devel development of the city who's rich. We found rich people. All of them have interesting problems. All of them get, talked, talked ad nauseum about it and, and was like, this is great. I heard her like hours talking to people. But then at the last minute, they're like, no, our people have told us we can't do it. And the best, the best line was, no one wants to hear problems from a man who owns a museum. <laughs> but I kind of do want to hear him, anyway.
I'm sorry, do you have a question? Yeah. Uh, hi, yeah, I also make an advice podcast, very different, maybe more traditional advice podcast than your own, but I'm really interested to hear you guys talk about the role you see advice playing. Um, certainly it's part of the prompt at the beginning, but how does it un reveal itself, especially when people can kind of respond to it in the moment? Um, oh, I think that one's not working. I mean, I would just say, like, I think that yeah, the show is a kind of about giving advice, but it's more about building connections between people and creating a space where people can be present with one another and just hear each other. So I feel like our goal is never to solve the problems, um, but just to sort of like hold space for people. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like the it, it, the best is when the like the advice is advice that we could never have imagined. Yeah, it's kind of an outer layer. You know, when you it's always about outer layers, right? It seems deceptively like it's a problem-solving advice show, but then boom, that actually becomes a springboard for sharing of experience becomes kind of um, getting a glimpse into the lives of people uh, and, and then comes to what happens when we rub up against each other and t try to navigate um, another person along with us. So it's like in, in design, it seems deceptively simple on the surface level, but we're constantly trying to unfold the petals, the layers of trying to mine, plumb the depth of that as much as we can. It's infinitely deep. You know, this is again, by the end of 24 hours, I think we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, can you guys just talk a little more about the logistics of the show? Like, are all, th you said, like, are three of you in there with them? Like, you said that you're holding the microphone. Like, are you following them around? Like, I'm just curious yeah, yeah. So, how you make so that. So we find happen. the space. There's three of us. We we go in there. We set things up. We get bring food, and drink, and um, prepare. Yeah, and we do like a really intensive uh, scripting process before we enter the room because we've done like really extensive pre-interviews with all these people to know who they are, what their challenges are, what like the problem that they're bringing into the space, and then we sort of go back and we sort of like hone in and try to imagine like okay, like what are the potential conversations that we're gonna have. And then we sort of like have like a session for each person, like where we sort of sit down and get all three of them together and be like, okay, we're going to talk about Sohil. Um, and so then he's the rich guy we finally managed to guy. convince to be on our show. He was yeah. Awesome. And so we have sort of like an, like an hour-ish set, like sit downy session with each person, so that we can really get enough meat for the tape that we are going to need. And then other than that, it's just random hanging out time, which is just sort of when we're wandering around. But, but, for, yeah, but for that actual like, centered moment, Sukhian is like really there with her microphone guiding the conversation. And, and I, I've, I've, I don't know, we've been talking about whether or not we should be using lav mics more. Um, I feel like it's good to control the conversation with the mic so people aren't interrupting too much. But I wonder if it would be also valuable to have the lav just well, with people wandering around. Sometimes voices are off mic. Yeah, because then, like, then like, we as the other producers in the room are like running to like, make sure that, that we get that person on the balcony. So yeah, it's a bit of a... It's a very strange situation and I, I'm not even sure how on earth the CBC agreed for us to do this. It all it's happened really fast. I feel like they didn't read the fine print on what we were I doing. Mean, you gotta get gotta be extreme to do this. So essentially, you know, we do the prep work. We have a basic outline. I kind of understand kind of each of the uh, biographical material of all the guests, kind of like where there might be some interesting collisions or frisson and sort of go in there with a kind of basic um, outline or green, as we call it in Canada, a question line, um, and then we find the place, camp in there, knock, 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 somebody arrives, they all arrive, and we let her rip, it goes. We have to be, it's kind of this beautiful combination of 
sort of planning, structure, and improvisation, like any form, like jazz, like dance, any kinds of, there's usually a kind of structure meets what the hell is this? And as producers, we have to be smart enough to hear when things go in a direction that we didn't think and go that way. Which I think is probably what you all do in all of your interviews. I feel like it's just like the very extreme version of that, maybe. Hello. Hello. Uh, I have a question about the reciprocity idea. Uh, I produce a lot of stuff that's either really personal stories or we'll put two people in conversation that they've like meant to have for a really long time. And I will share a lot of myself to, to get going. But even if I'm on mic, I know I'm not going to use any of that. And is that... Is that... That's, that's shitty, right? The intention is to show people that they can be open and honest. But why do you cut yourself out? That's interesting. I'm like, a, for the most part, I'm like an able-bodied white dude. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. You know, we, we had the same conversations before amongst V, Michelle, and I. I'm like, you, got, you gals do really freaking great work. Beautiful you know, audio and sounds, and, but why don't you put yourself in there? You know, and then they said, they were like, because, I don't know, I take up too much space, I'm white. Remember that whole thing? There's, there's, they're really confounded, this wrestle, like they feel privileged, they da 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 they shouldn't have their voice in there, or I'm not, I'm not, I don't know about that. Yeah, I feel the same thing, because I often, sometimes I wind up putting it in, and sometimes it's just like the idea of like, I just want to show you that like, we can be safe and honest, but I also know that I'm in control. I get to edit it, I guess. So like, I mean, is there room? Is there room in your format for you to try putting it in maybe one time and just see how it feels? Like maybe it's maybe it's worth an experiment. Yeah. Just maybe you have to listen to the tape too. And like, um, maybe it's the intention. If you're just yeah. doing it so that you, they'll give, and you listen to the tape and go, holy sheesh, am I ever boring? Maybe it's you're smart to like take it out because you don't, you know, we're making stuff that should be interesting. Like I often say, can you please cut me, me back? I'm like dribbling on here. Yeah, and we also like, there's a lot of times where she'll offer a story that doesn't end up making it into the episode as well. Like it is always a, a give and take. It's also the same way that we don't include all the questions that we're asking. But let the, the, let, 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 let the story and the raw sort of guide you and maybe not just always take yourself out. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a thing to think about like just to not immediately Excise. Yeah, because yeah, I guess it also comes back to like what is like the truth of the situation, and if, if that if that was like a really impactful thing that happened, and, and then as listeners we're not getting it, then maybe we're not getting the, the full story. And sometimes it helps to bring ahead. Like I'll offer a perspective that is a total left turn or right turn, like in the whole thing. So it's kind of getting unique per, d d uh, uh, perspectives on this on one situation, which helps. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Hi. Uh, I have a question about sort of. Uh, I don't know, feedback in your system. So basically, it seems like the format uh, allows for you know you to be you to be surprised every time. But do you think, or or is there room for you to sort of tweak the basic concept in some way, or do you feel that that's sturdy enough that you can sort of let it be and then focus on the individual episodes themselves and the people? I themselves? think um, there's lots of ways that this can grow. I feel like um, I'd like to do when we do more. I'd like to to change the the situation. So the first time was just the hotel room, neutral space, project on the neutral space, almost like a science 
science fiction movie, same place, this eternal space. And then the second season was about finding a location that had to do with sort of uh, a, a difficulty in where we were in the city that we were, we, where we were, where these three individuals sort of play out to the backdrop of a larger problem within the city. So there's a correlation between, um, you know, say, the developer, the rich developer, and a woman who has to juggle several jobs because she doesn't have as much money, and then a child who's thrown into the mix who's dealing with with her issues. So, um, you know, tried to marry that. So it was a slight, a slight tweak. And for for the next one, I think what we're going to do is kind of, um, the idea is interesting. You can be strangers um, and past strangers every day and never talk to them. So finding a volatile, provocative institution or location where three strangers pass one another and don't meet each other and then bring them there. So that could be, I don't know what that's going to be, but it perhaps could be um, more entrenched in sort of topical and difficult conversations that need to happen. So I think it's sort of like one of those things that can be tweaked in many different ways. It may not even need to be 24 hours, I don't know. It could be longer. Do we have time for more questions? <laughs> Uh, it's 109. I think we go for six more minutes or something. Okay, there's somebody. Hi, so I um, do interviews that are both news and um, narrative driven. And in addition to the constraint that I don't have 24 hours to spend with someone, oftentimes I'm in a studio um, and I'm either with the person in a studio or doing it over the phone or over Skype or, you know, we're not connecting face to face. So, what are some of those? activities or something that will break you out of that that can be adapted when you're not even in the same space or when you're in a very sort of small professional booth. So with uh, Sohail, the rich guy that eventually was on our show, um, the way that um, we found him was through a small magazine um, in Vancouver where they basically were mocking him mercilessly because he had this um, meetup group called Millionaires Under 30 or something or Millionaires Under 40. He just really, he really were, wanted a millionaire friend and he couldn't f make a friend. It yeah, was, and they were like, it was really fuck sad. this guy, this stupid blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was just like really tore into him. And I was like, this is interesting. And I was like, hmm. And then I Googled his name and found he had a you know, development company and stuff. And I phoned this company because I wondered what his his perspective. And when I called him, he was like, whoa, what, you what? You want what? <laughs> Why would I do that? With the media, I totally got burnt. So it was a kind of conversation that was like just being curious about him. I'm curious about what happened. So it's like I think hearing, listening, and being really connected or curious and open and not judging, yeah. not judging his experience. And so he ended up just kind of, okay, do you want me to tell you the real secret? He's like, why should I do this? I'm like, to make the world better? And he said, okay. And then even- You can try that. And even You're, just simpler than that, like I just feel like sometimes I feel like when we, I start an interview with someone, I'm like, hey, so how's your day? And they're like, oh, my day, whatever. I feel like if I could expand that part of the conversation just a little bit longer and actually give a shit about how their day was yeah. for like more than the, the 30 seconds where I'm just trying to get my levels. Yeah. Like just to actually find out like, how is your day? Like what happened last night? Like, and when you're asking about the breakfast, like was it any good? Like, I don't know, like to actually like give a shit about more than just what you're there to ask them about. Or I think you makes talk about what you ate for breakfast. Yeah. 
You know? Or if you even had breakfast, or maybe you start complaining about how you never get to eat breakfast anymore, and it's really sad. So I had a quick question about the production like schedule. Um, and also like, so how do you like, how do you know when, like as a producer, you kind of at least like have, you, you definitely finish, you spend so much time on something, but you get a sense of like when an episode feels good. Even if like nobody likes it, there are like favorites that you, like that you're emotionally attached to. And like, wh what happens when it all like crashes and burns? Is that, is that when you know it's gonna be good? Oh, sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious about all of the above. Well, uh, I feel so, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking about not even with sleepover, but when things crash and burn, I've had interviews crash and burn and it's incredibly compelling on the other side to see things like, what the, that's, that was really awkward. Um, with sleepover, when, when troubles arise, it's always prickly, like it's a little, a little difficult, but we, we've already made that agreement to begin with that we're gonna try to, try to muscle through and work through stuff. So there's a kind of like goodwill on, on the part of everybody. And in the, I think you're talking about like the sort of post-production process. And so like pretty much what we do is we get all this tape. I sort of mentioned this brain dump that we do where we like talk out everything that happened in the sleepover. And we're, we're trying to also, from one sleepover, we're trying to think about three episodes, so three storylines and what are those gonna be. And then we go away and we make our rough cuts, um, which aren't super, super rough, but like is about like 27 minutes or something, 29 minutes of just like, just the tape. And then, yeah, we sort of talk it through and then Sukhyun will sort of make a, a or, or actually I'll write a bit of a sort of skeleton script. And then Sukhyun will go in and do this magical process called Sukhyunification, <laughs> where she will make it her own. Um, and then we'll sort of make a rough mix and then listen to it. And it has happened where we like listen to the whole thing with the script and it's all plugged in and then it's like, what was the problem? Like, what, who is this person? Like, doesn't really, meh. You know, and then we really have to go back and rejig and reshuffle and like go back and find new tape and like it all kind of falls apart. And then at the last minute we're like, oh, that metaphor of like the compass. And like, it really is this sort of iterative process where we're like sort of like in the shit for a while, which I think is probably the same as making anything. Um, but yeah, there's often times where it doesn't work and we have to reflesh it and repush it. And there's a feeling that you get when it's just right, when it's fallen in the pocket. It's kind of intangible. You can hear it when you hear a great song, you know, when it just hits you. And there's something about the arrangement of a song, the emotions of a song, the melody of a song. You just kind of feel it. And then there's also the magic of deadlines, where at a certain point you just have to say, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes it, like you do just have to say, like, okay, like it's, yeah, be it's better forever. done than perfect, and like it just has to go. Yeah. Hi. Um, I had a question about the consent, because you have the intergenerational conversations. And what, who's the youngest subject you've worked with and how do you work through that? Yeah, so the youngest is a seven um, and we always um, talk to their parents and each of them has a guardian with, with them in the room. Yeah, so there's another person in the room, I guess. That, and we, sometimes we acknowledge their presence and sometimes we don't. Yep. Yeah. Okay, thank you everybody. Thanks so much. When you're interviewing people and you go into very vulnerable spaces with them and you review your tape and your storyline, how do you choose what is too vulnerable to share in uh, sort of protecting the people you spend that time with? Yeah, it's very, very important to, to, to honor and reflect accurately their, their 
there's their place. Um, so um, we go to great great lengths of that. If if there's something that people don't want to talk about, they usually tell us in that moment. So we they'll say that's not. But then you get like real you get like real deep with someone like later on, right? And then you just like burst open with them, and you know you're vulnerable, they're vulnerable, and they they share a thing. And then when sometimes you listen back to it, sometimes when I do this, when I interview people, I, I, I wonder if like, would they have said that? Like, would they want other people to hear that? Well, then you can always ask them, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Right, ask them, are you okay with this being here? Yeah. But what it, it, sometimes it makes the story like even more great too, right? It like heightens it. You're like, wow, they shared this, and this is amazing, but it's really like. I think it must serve as a story, right? Like suddenly, like random, like wow, like emotionality. It's like it's like when I think about actor acting. You know, a lot of actors think, "Oh my God, I cried, I I cried." You know, like, I hear a lot of people, journalists as well, like I got them to cry. Like that's the penultimate thing. Sometimes that's not the thing though. So it's like hearing the story, hearing the arc, and like. Usually there's, you know, so what happens is there's, uh, everybody will bring up a particular thing, a challenge in their life, and then through a tri triangulation process, we invariably can relate. You can say to me a difficulty, on likely, likely I will have something that's sort of similar, and so we're just trying to find, like, take that, that, that becomes the main focus, and whatever conversation is helpful to get a, a new perspective on that, that's where we're driven to, not about, like, did we, you know, this his, hysterical kind of overthing, but, but it's about the story, I think. Uh, congrats on the show. I think, you know, whenever anyone comes out with a format that's like so different, it um, gets all the producers talking. So uh, it's great. Um, I think with any production, like you, you sort of, after you do a show for a while, you, you learn how to make that production more efficient. Like you learn things as you're doing the show more and more and you're like, now it's easier than it was six months ago. I imagine with 24 hours of tape per show, you've learned some lessons. Can you share some like insight? Yeah, I feel like one of the major things about our show that we didn't really talk about too much is there's so much pre-planning that goes in before we even enter the room. We do a really in-depth um, pre-interviewing process with everyone on our show. Like first, like I, like I will chat with someone and then Sukin will do what we call a locket interview where we actually record an interview with a person where they give us a real sense of their, their backstory as well as the story of their problem. Um, and yeah, and so we, we have so much scripting that we do beforehand as well, just sort of imagining what are the potential collisions between these people, what are the potential moments that they can be sharing with each other, and then we sort of script that out. And I feel like that process has really been refined over the, the time that we've been doing the show. Yeah, it's kind of a mixture of um, structure and improvisation. So we go in there, and I, I do get biographical information, not, too, not overly so, get a sense of where there might be for some, only intuitively try to go, oh, that could be interesting. Hmm, that's, int I wonder what, but without knowing the outcome, I go in there with that kind of um, outline, um, and then invariably things take different routes, and we have to listen for that to go off the course there. Um, so yeah, we, we, there, there is quite a bit of planning that goes in, so, but then once we're in the room, it's kind of like, what happens, it happens. It's, it's hard to be um, creative methodolo methodology. We do have a structure and a kind of methodology of which we do, but I feel like we haven't been doing it that long to be like, it's not some sort of well-oiled machine of which we could like pump out very easily. It's really a labor of love. We, we, um, I, I make the, the videos, V takes photographs, um, I make the music, so it's like handmade radio, and it's re really, really um, come from a place of um, care and kind of art making.
Uh, this question's for Sukiyam. Um, I think that what you're doing is very obviously authentic and I respect your um, perceptiveness and I think you have sensitive ears. Um, this is leading up to a question. <laughs> um, so when you are listening to a news story or a news-centric interview, what things do you catch and say, this could be done differently? A, like a news-type in, type interview, do you hear and say, well, maybe this could have been done this way, a more out-of-the-box thinking? It depends on what what it what it is. Um, so, um, hmm. Uh, let's think. Um, I mean, do you I, ever curse at your radio? Probably so. Yes. Yeah. No. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, like I've been pretty. I've, it's been interesting to see where you know things happen. Uh, just learning from mistakes, and sometimes mistakes are incredible. Um, I used to be a, a VJ. That's what, that was my first job in, and it was sort of Canada's MTV. And I'd never. Ha I I didn't go to school for any of this stuff, but some of the interviews w w that were a train wreck were very interesting, made for very compelling, compelling television. Um, but sometimes, and then I, at CBC, I've been very lucky to have certain, um, they, they invest in training, and so they bring in people. And um, I've had, I've taken classes with two different, very different teachers. One of them is all about, you know, um, being as invisible as possible because he himself is a bit doesn't like to insert himself and stuff. So it's like all about martial arts. He's always like this martial artist, tum, like putting it a slate, kill, kill, like that. And then another guy's just like, it's all about good intention. It's like couples therapy. You've got to really jibe. So these two very opposite pe people. But but um, one of them showed us like sometimes if you over say stuff like front load your question and like um, it, that can go go off go off, go off the rails um, simplicity um, uh, I'm I'm looking for something that's like um, I, I crave to see something that's like um, interesting I think it's just the interesting ear right. Um, crafting crafting a green we call them greens I realize in the United States you don't you know, they're like what the What's a green? Somebody said, it sounds so pastoral. It's just basically the cue line, the question line. And that is so important. How, you know, like what you say and how they're stacked and so forth like that. Um, so I think there, it, it depends on what I'm seeing. I, I'm, looking for, I'm listening for something special. And there, you know, oftentimes people are interviewed and they're just saying the same thing over and over and over and you hear, they're almost like robot people, they're blah, 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 blah. So how to get them out of that? I did learn quite a bit in rock and roll. Like uh, I, 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 Lars from Metallica, he's like, wouldn't talk, so used an activity, had this weird game where we have to hold this weird game with our thighs and like make this would you do and that then, to Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. You know, th thumb, thumb wrestling with Tom Jones. Then he's like, oh, talking about all this stuff, right? So how to bring something interesting. Or else, like I do marvel at, I really like Mark Maron a lot too. I find just, that's a very straightforward interview and he's just picking up his ear. He's picking up stuff and like instead of like, sometimes I hear people like, go over a very interesting point. 
Oh, sorry, I just spat. Um, go over an interesting point and just like look at their green. Next question, next question. And they like something really, really cool just happened back there. So it's just like, it's like anything, right? It's like making music, making films. It's idiosyncratic understanding and hearing and developing your unique way of hearing the world and applying that, I think. Or feeling like that you have some freedom to develop your aesthetic, your ear, what, what makes you go, poo, that's cool. Did that answer your question? Not really, but I liked it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. Thanks so much, everyone, for coming. We're, we're gonna, we'll stick around if you have more things that you want to talk about. Yeah, thank you so much. Never been be here before, and it's been really nice to speak with uh, audio makers and, and get to know you. Thank you. <laughs>